Hello and welcome to the Celtic Roulette. I'm your host, Christopher Gallagher. And uh, what what is episode two of uh, a new series that we've uh, created? Um, I'm joined, as always, by Alan Edgar. Hello, Alan. How are you, my friend? I'm good, mate. I'm really good. Looking forward to this. Great stuff. Uh, and we're also joined by Barry Gallagher. Hello, Barry. Hello. Um, really enjoyed doing the first one of this, so hopefully it'll be just as much fun this time. Excellent stuff. To give you a little kind of background on what the uh, concept of the podcast is, we've got a bowl, we've got Celtic-related uh, phrases and names and kind of lots of different things. Uh, in the bowl, we'll each take a turn taking one of the pieces of paper out and we'll talk through it. Um, it's, it's a podcast where we don't necessarily do a lot of kind of research into it, so a lot of it is coming from our experience and just kind of off the cuff. Uh, have fun with the first one, Alan. Shooting from the hip. Shooting from the hip. Um, yeah, it is, it's, uh, it is quite nice to actually just gab and chat and you don't know where it'll go. Sometimes you'll <clears> pull out every connection possible going to Neil Lennon, mm-hmm. um, like Jesus. the first episode. Yep. Hopefully tonight will be a wee bit better. The other t- do we not have like three Dutchmen in a row we as well? Three Dutchmen in a row. Yeah. We talked, no, was it not that we talked about Reggie Blinker and then we pulled out Reggie Blinker? We talked about, no, we talked about Wim Janssen. It was a nonsense. It was a nonsense, quite frankly. <laughs> well, that's the kind of uh, shooting from the hip type of part that we've got coming up, so don't you worry about that. Um, shall we just rattle into it? Because we want to get as many as we can. Uh, Barry, you want to go? Well, Barry or Alan, who wants to go first? I think I went first last time. So yeah, I'll... Barry did. So Alan, you can go first this time. Yeah. I'll, go for, I'll go first next time we do it. Okay. We shuffle about. We shuffle about. He's got his name. We have... Oh, you could not get a better pick for me. It is number 49, James, James Forrest. Forrest. Do you know it's going to be a good night? The weather's good. James Forrest is out. Gym bag. Heard that before. Um, Aye, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> um, right, okay, so we'll start with James Forrest. Uh, Alan, as you are the, the picker of gym bag, talk us through your thoughts. Yeah, I'm, tough season for him, but... I was actually, I think, I seen earlier on, it was the 11-12 season, he got young player of the year, and you just think, it's 11 years ago. Um, and he's had an unusual kind of career at Celtic, and it hasn't always just been, you know, well, I suppose if you're at the top for that long, it's never going to be, but it's not always been, he's not always been first choice. You know, he's, um, I think, unfairly at times, um, gets a hard time from the support. Um, and I'm not even talking about this season because I think he's a very different player now than the age he's at and the type of position he plays. Um, but for a real... There's a couple of seasons you could name specifically where he was just unplayable. Obviously, I think he won player of the year in... Um, was it 17-18? Yeah. I think. Um, That's when Patrick Roberts came in um, and just really threatened his position I guess and it really he really really stepped up yeah I mean it was it was incredible but even prior to that he'd a tendency to score fairly important goals he's got a really good record of scoring kind of important European goals for us but when Rodgers came in I think it was just a to be honest it was a perfect marriage for him and that Brendan Rodgers likes wingers that tend to play off other players and that kind of trinity of Rodgers coaching Tom Rodgick coming to his best and Forrest being on that right-hand side, Forrest and Rodgick just had this synergy that was just incredible. Forrest would drop the ball into him, and Rodgick knew that he would keep that run going, and you, that was his trade. That is his trademark move, pass, and then wait for it to come back, because he keeps moving when defenders stand still. And um, 
yeah, incredible. I always think his best moment will always be that incredible goal against Rangers. Um, obviously followed up probably the celebrations maybe a bit yeah. more memorable. But um, yeah, he's, he's always a player I enjoyed watching, particularly under those years. Um, why do you think he, why, sorry to jump in, but why do you think he gets, and we'll get your point of view, Barry, of course, um, but why do you think him specifically, why do you think he, get, he gets so much hate? Um, I think, first of all, when you come through, um, I think we always have a tendency, and I include myself in that, to you like when you sign a winger and it sounds more exotic than, you know, someone from, you know, it's come through the ranks. It's come, you know, it's just, I think there's always that slight difference. I think on top of that, he's, he's a very modern winger and I think he, he doesn't just run at people. He's, I don't think, I don't ever remember him doing that. I mean, I know the goal I mentioned there he did, but there was a, a pathway there. He's not a player that just, drives and you know takes a player on two three times he liked to calculate when it was best if he wanted to pass inside he would do that and that that's why I think he worked well under Rogers because I think he appreciated that and understood that I think when you look at to be honest you think about modern football now and you think about wingers a lot of wingers are players that actually play exactly like that that are I don't want to say possession based because it sounds dull but they're not just about driving to the byline and trying to fire across it. And I think the game's moved on from that. It's about Jenkins, actually... Jenkins was born at a time. No, in, I think... In regards that if no. he was born now, he would be maybe... No, I don't think so. I don't think it's a case of that. I just think if you're asking why... I think a lot of people, maybe fans have moved on a wee bit in terms of we, we haven't accepted that maybe possession-based wingers are where the game's at. So I think um, I think he's, he's been he was really good for his incredible... Um, under Rodgers, great record before that for a very young player is very good. And you look at the body of work over you know, the amount of goals he scored. Um, yeah, I, I've always liked him. I, I don't see too much, too many more years of him at that top level, but that's understandable. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's an unusual one, but I've, he's, he's a player that I'll always kind of, i very, very fond memories of. If there was a renaissance, then great, but I wouldn't be banking on it, to be honest. Barry, your thoughts on James Forrest? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the, the point you made um, about his performances in Europe, um, the one game that really stands out for me was the Bayern Munich at home game. Um, obviously, we never got the result we wanted, but I thought he was Incredible. tremendous yeah. that night. Um, and it's funny, you mentioned the goal against Rangers. I always remember there was a tweet, it's probably in my bookmarks, where it was a Rangers fan tweeted saying, um, fuck me, James Forrest has just danced through our defence like... <laughs> Messy end this season now <laughs> but no tremendous and it is a shame because he's a player I've always liked as well and I think from a very young age he was very effective <coughs> excuse me the goal that he scored in his debut was sensational like Motherwell at home um, and he has kind of reinvented himself a wee bit over the, the mm, period yeah. of time um, often asked to play on the left but I don't think he was as effective but his numbers and turning up in big games the one criticism you could sort of Label at him was he's never really had a great performance at Ibrox. I think, and even earlier in this season, that kind of backed that up. But no, he's in the hundred goal club. And see, one thing that I think uh, I know you can you've got the stats there, Gal. But see, I think you'd be surprised the amount of games he actually played over the last couple of seasons. Like mm-hmm. it, on the, the sort of face of it, it feels like he hasn't played at all. But I'd be willing to bet he's in double figures both seasons. Uh, so this is the twenty two twenty three season. <laughs> It is indeed. Uh, he played 32 games last season, or he was involved in yeah, 32 right. games last so, season. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, if you look at, you know, from the 17-18 season, as, as Alan says, you know, he scores 17 goals. The season after that, he scores 17 goals. The season after that, he scores 16 goals. Um, those are his three best seasons in, in regards to goal return. But it's not necessarily goal return you're looking from, for from, from a winger. See, just on that as well, so see those numbers. Our, our wide players get a lot of credit just now, but none of them have come near that. Mm. I think Abada maybe last season, but yeah. Jota's, what... 13, 14, I know there's still games to go but Barry, there's 5 games to go <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, think how, how lauded those players are yeah. and James Forrest has never really had that level of praise of course um, I, th- I think one of the, like, we might as well I think one of the big accusations <laughs> against Forrest is that he, in big games he didn't do it for us but I think that does go back to he's not the type of winger that would pick up the ball on the touchline with nobody near him and just drive through a team. That That's not the type of player he was. Um, but he was effective yeah. in what he was. I thought he was really good. And I, I think the other thing I really I like about players like him that have this kind of tenure at the club is that seeing 10, 20 years, you can guarantee, and it kind of goes back to what Barry says there about maybe forgetting how many games he played last year. There'll be goals that he scored from last year that people will think, Fuck, James Forrest played mm. under Ange Postacoglu. Mm. And I think the one that springs to mind was the St. Johnston semi-final. Aye. Because we were rotten that day. Yeah. We were really, really poor. And he came on and he actually injected a wee bit of kind of something into the team. There was a wee period, and I'm sure we talked about it, maybe on the agenda or something else, where all of our wingers, you could see the quality that Jota, Maeda, Abada, they all had. But the one thing when it wasn't quite coming off of them, the one thing he didn't have is just that wee bit of composure just to take the ball and drop it off and then go again. Yeah. And he came back in from injury, I think, and he was really effective over four or five games. And then those guys, to be honest, they just kicked on yeah. and they improved. And, I mean, he's way down that pecking order now. But I like players like that that you think, yeah, you remember him under Rodgers, remember him under Lennon first time round. But a lot of seeing, like 10, it'll probably slip it out of our memories, but yeah. you think, oh, I forget he played, you know, that many games under Angin. I like that. That is the kind of yeah. stuff that is reserved for players that kind of go into that legendary status, if you like. And I'm, I'm not saying he goes in there, um, but it's... it's even, like even, even a spell this season where he scored the hat-trick against Hibs, and then yeah. he scored at Tynecastle as well. So there's things like that. that mm-hmm. Five goals this season? Yeah. Let's get five goals this season. Um, what I would say, my kind of thoughts on Jim's... Jim, James Forrest, Jim Bag, um, is that um, I think he's a guy that, as you see, Alan, when he's you know when he retires, you'll look back maybe five or ten years later and go, oh, do you know what? What a player he was! And yeah. I think he's I think he's probably underappreciated by the support. Um, and the biggest frustration I always had with him in his younger time was that he got injured quite a lot. Yeah. And I, I guess that's you know <clears throat> hamstrings and wingers and, and stuff like that. And I used to find that quite frustrating. But once he got a run and once he got into a good fitness regime and and, and stuff, he. He was so key. He was see Dyla, for example. Like he was so key to Dyla and how Dyla played, and then he just he kind of everyone talks about how well Scott Brown did going from Dyla mm-hmm. to Rogers, but I think Forrest yeah. went up about three or four levels, and there was chat that he was going to leave as well. Remember? I, I think that yeah, I do remember that, and I think but I think the difference between Brown from Dyla to Rogers and Forrest from Dyla to Rogers was, I mean. I'll be. Honest, I expected Brown. I thought Brown would have went. Yeah. yeah. And and to be honest, I, I I know it's crazy saying now. What two weeks before his big celebration at the Hydro, or whatever. But genuinely, I think at that point, see if the first if 
Rogers would have come in and they would announce, yeah, Scott Brown, that he's no longer needed at the club. I'd have probably went. Me bother. I'd, I'd seen him so many times in that dial of season, fire a ball 10 yards and miss by 11. And it was just like, <laughs> hard going. Um, listen, let's move on because, uh, you know, we could, again, these are, uh, po- we want to go as quickly as possible. But Mate, uh, keep the little piece of you paper. You can keep the little piece of Thank paper. Um, James Forrest, what a man. Uh, Barry, fire yourself Here in. We go. James Forrest, of course, uh, current player for Celtic. Um, He's versus... Oh, Jesus. Brendan Rodgers. Alan, it's your lucky day. What a... Barry might have the beef piece of paper. <laughs> um, Barry Gallagher, uh, you've, you've uh, pulled the Brendan Rodgers card. Um, get involved. Obviously, excuse me, uh, obviously in hindsight, um, because of the way he left, there's a lot of bad feeling towards him. And when I saw that photo of him at the recent... Uh, game against Rangers I thought you bastard but see going right back to the very beginning where I was lucky enough to be in the stadium that day uh, we got unveiled and also was ours as well and I remember saying to my pal I th- like I remember the excitement um, there was a lot of fanfare before he came out and I thought this feels like for the first time since O'Neill was here that we are back in the big time yes um, everything just seemed to go up a level Um the quality of signings, I know it probably didn't spend a great deal initially, um, but signing someone like Scott Sinclair, even Cole Toure to kind of the first few games and the name that he was. Steady the ship. Yeah, um, Mr Dembele, and almost straight away, barring the, the Red Imps game of course, um, but the standards, everything just seemed to be that everything had been raised at Celtic Park, and I loved how... Probably in contrast to Ange, but it seemed like every couple of days there was new people joining him who'd been out with him with Liverpool. And that kind of harked back to like the, the Steve Walford and John Robertson days as well. And I think within, what, six weeks of, um, of his tenure, we'd beaten Rangers 5-1. And I know that they weren't the best incarnation of Rangers then, but qualify for the Champions League and then obviously an invincible season. Probably up until this season and parts of last season, the best football we'd seen at Celtic Park since O'Neill. Um, and then, yeah, just, I think that's the one thing I would say to him because I think, obviously looking back now, it's tinged with how he left, but that raising the profile of Celtic um, and that's, I think it's still record revenues um, for that first couple of seasons, the amount of money we brought in. The brand of football, which again kind of diminished after maybe the first 18 months, but the one sort of, no, the biggest, uh, biggest sort of, that's what I'm looking for, praise I can give them is taking us back to the big time and raising the standards. Um, and yeah, and I think time will look back on them more kindly than it does now because it's still too raw. Because I remember, I can still remember the day that he left and being in work and genuinely holding back the tears because I thought like, because we'd gotten so high, I thought, oh God, we're going back to square one and okay. we're, we're even less than that. Yeah, <laughs> minus. Um, so, yeah, it's probably still too raw just now, um, but you've got to appreciate that he was a very good manager for us, so, yeah. Well, I would say, but we'll bring Alan in a second, is I have <coughs> compartmentalised him in my brain and, you, uh, you know, this is something that I think a lot of us have done. Football and what he did for the club and how he did it versus him and his personality and what he did to the club because um 
he is a guy, you know, very similar to Ange Postacoglu in regards to coming in and instantly raising the standards and instantly demanding more. The sale, you know, way back to one of the kind of first podcasts we ever did, I think it was Chris Romani when he said about Celtic having standards and, you know, the fans have these ridiculous standards, but you should always be trying to get there. And I found that was right under O'Neill. I found I found that was right under Tommy Burns as well, but it was obviously a little bit too early. But Tommy Burns, I found that was right under Martin O'Neill. I found that was right under Brendan Rodgers. And I think it's right under Ange Postacoglu, okay. where he makes everyone think back to the big time. But just how they talk and how they talk about tactics and how they talk about management. Um, and I never got that with Neil Lennon. Never got it. I never really got it with Gordon Strachan, even though he was successful. Um, but it's really hard. I use the word raw there. It's really, still really hard for me personally to talk about him with any praise other than just, oh, what great results he got because I still feel betrayed. And, you know, I, Alan, <laughs> I can't. No, I, I, think, I think Barry's um, been very fair and I think you're also entirely accurate. Um, I think there was a great... The, the names that you mentioned there, they all have a gravitas. The only slight outlier, I would say, and it is because he came from a completely different environment, is Ange. I think Ange had to build his gravitas. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. When he came in. Whereas Rogers, it was day one. O'Neill, it was day one. True, true. Um, so I suppose that's praise to Ange, I guess. Um, but for... It's funny when Barry mentions when um, when Rogers came in. I, I remember in work, and it was um, well before... You know, we knew who we were going for or what we were doing. Guy in my work, just chatting. And he said, who do you, who would you like to go for as Celtic manager? And f- right away from day one, I said, I think they should go and try and get Brendan Rodgers because he needs to rebuild his reputation and he's a great coach. Um, and the guy was like laughing, saying, no, it's not going to happen. See, for like the next four years, that if that guy asked me what I thought like, the weather was going to be like, it was as if, if I said it's going to be 50 degrees, he would go, do you know, I believe you. Yeah, I'm going to go get my shots. Because I got that one, <laughs> <laughs> that one, right? Um, and t- I think it's weird when you talk about Rogers. see when you're talking amongst other, um, other, let's see if you're talking to anybody else who's not a Celtic fan, I think I get quite bristly and I say, yeah, he was great, but... Yeah. Whereas when I'm talking to Celtic fans, I actually think, I know, but he was really, really good. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost weird. Like, the, not my viewpoint changes depending on who I'm speaking to, but I think how much you... Defend him. Defend him is based on almost... It's like, if, you need, you, you, if you're speaking to someone about him, you need to, they need to know the backstory because yeah. people will pick stuff up that... Just... I, I think that's exactly... And the reason when I'm speaking to people that aren't Celtic fans or even... I was listening to radio the other day and it was after he'd been at the game, as you guys had said, and I think it was Mark Guidi. And he was talking about, yeah, Rogers was at the game and, um, you know, uh, what he said feeds into a lot of what a few people have now said about the reason that he was there. Um, and there was what, then what a discussion. I don't just, there seems to be a, a suggestion that... Um, well, Mark Guidi was saying live in the radio, so it's his information, but I've also heard it from someone else saying that he's trying to potentially rebuild his reputation and it feels that he has unfinished business at Celtic. So there was then a discussion on the radio about Brendan Rodgers and all they talked about was how good he was. I've not, what he I've achieved not heard at the that. Club. I, sorry, I'm just I'm a little bit in shock. <laughs> so <laughs> they talked all genuinely, all they talked about was how good he was, how Celtic fans, yeah, they need to go over it. And that's why I get my back up. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, he was entirely successful. He was brilliant. And if he'd stayed, he could have done more. 
But I think, see, once you've done that and then you walk away, especially in those circumstances, and, and I know that people say, I get a head start at Leicester and look what he did with Leicester. But I don't give a fuck. But <laughs> we don't, I, I don't care about Leicester. I really don't, you know, that's not our concern. He left us in a kind of state. We navigate it through at the end of the season, but you don't get credit for that. I think though, when people talk about, yeah, would you, you would take him back in a heartbeat. I think people then forget, by the way, football does not stand still. No. Would you take people, would you take Martin O'Neill back? And okay. even though I love him, sorry, football moves on and at look leaves at Neil, people look at, standing. Look at Neil Lennon in his second spell. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I just and I know I'm not comparing them, but he, had, he what he did in his first spell and what he did in the second spell are very, very starkly different. I, I, I just think that's just on, it's that idea that he was really successful first time. Yes, he was. Two things, though. One, the way he left, which... At the, I'll never go over. People on no. the outside think, ah, you went on a treble. It's like, hey, but by the way, like Barry, I remember the day he left and I remember thinking, this season is fucked. And by the way, we've got hearts and less than 24 hours and you yeah. might know of a team to put together, a uh, coaching staff, sorry to take the team. But also then you get the side of it where, yeah, but we've moved on. So, yeah, 100%. And Brendan Rodgers is a great coach. He still is a great coach. But... Would I take him back? And the answer would be not because we've, you know, we've got Ange. I just, I, you don't go back. And football does move on. And you made that decision. And the day you made that decision, I think that's the day. If he came back to Celtic Park, I wouldn't boo him. Whereas I know you guys are probably different. Oh, why? Aye, and that, that's fine. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. Be, down, Barry. <laughs> I wouldn't even be critical. But by the same token, I wouldn't be the idiot that says, "Oh, I take him back." I, yeah, yeah. I just feel you, you need, you're somewhere on the middle. There's yeah. a line to be had, and I think you know you can say you know what you achieved everything fine. I'm not going to lodge you. I'm not going to boo you. But the one thing I'm definitely going to go is I, I'm not going to have you back. Like I just that even that discussion over the last few days has kind of annoyed me a bit. I, I want to jump in before you come in, Barry. As well, the, the thing about um, Rogers as well. Now we won um, domestically again. We were outrageous. Right, three trebles in a row. Although do you know what? Two trebles and a league cup. Um, and he didn't really do it in Europe. Now we made incremental. No, 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 no. Just, just no, no. What, what? When I say he didn't do it in Europe, that's really unfair. I take that back. I really do. But those knockout ties against Valencia and against Zenit Saint Petersburg, we were fucking toothless. And if we, if we, that's what I'm talking about. So there was incremental gains in the Champions League, right? I get that, right? There was great performances there. We qualified, you know, the first season we don't qualify for anything. Second season you qualify for the Europa League. Third season you, great, right? And I, I get that, and I'd like to see that this season. If Ange qualifies for the Europa League, that's enough for me, right? Incremental improvements. But those knockout ties, it was like. You know, like that's what that's what I thought he was there. You know, I knew we weren't a Champions League team. You know, at that point, and I was like, "Well, we're a Europa League team, so let's go on a run." And we're toothless. And I mean, the Zenit Saint Petersburg game at home was excellent, right? So that's the one where you go. Actually, that was a great performance. Away from home, we were dreadful. Yeah. Valencia at <clears> home and away we were just crap. So that's what I would say. That you know, actually, he achieved. Enough that you can put him in a in a in a pedestal of his own, but you know, I don't know. I'm rambling now because he just I, makes me. I, I think it shows how raw it is that we'll, yeah. we we're going for. I'm defending him to then you defending him to then me criticising him right. and I think it is the emotion of it is clearly still there. 100. percent I think just a couple of things that you said, Alan. Like one thing I, I totally agree with. I hate when people out with their support tell their support how uh, to act. Absolutely. Like how dare they? And also. The point you made about 
I'm trying to rebuild his reputation. I'm trying to think what it would take for him <laughs> to do that. Like I'm thinking, cash money. See, like uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen like the the Passion of the Christ film where it's the the sort of bad monk and he lashes himself with <laughs> <laughs> that in the centre circle. In the centre circle. I'd buy a ticket. Mia culpa. Mia culpa. Liam McGrandos immediately thereafter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brenda. Um, no, for for me, I just think that ultimately. Um, I, you know, he might turn up at Scott Brown's thing, by the way, but... Oh, God. Oh, I'm not be worrying about it, because I'm not going. Yeah. I think, just see the, emo- the emotion of it, sorry. I think it is one of a handful, probably, of, like, GFK moments in, like, Celtic perspective. Yeah. I, in my life, genuinely. When Barry said he remembers, I remember exactly where I was. I was working down in Newcastle. I was on the uh, LNER train on the way down... And I remember seeing it on the gossip page. And obviously we'd heard about it about the night before. Yep. And people were saying, this might happen. And I remember thinking, nah. no chance. Literally no chance. Fell asleep for 20 minutes or whatever. Woke up and it had all happened. And right. I was genuinely, I was in shock. I went into the office down in Newcastle that day. And I just couldn't do a thing. I think I left at like half two because I was just in absolute state. It's just bizarre. See, like, weirdly for mine, so my school would had like, you get like inspected like in the... The December before or whatever, and the results had just come out that day. So the head teacher was having a big assembly to celebrate, and I remember like getting my class sort of lined up at the door to take them along the corridor to the gym hall, and I, my phone must have buzzed about twenty times, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh God, it's happened!" I like, can I look? And my dad's like, "He's in Leicester now." Took all the kids into the the gym hall, whole school there, and. The head teacher was playing like celebrate good times that song, right? And I remember she said afterwards to like the deputy, "What the hell's wrong with Barry?" And I was like, "You can't, you can't cry, you can't cry for all these kids, you can't cry." That's how much it affected me, and I know that. See, looking back, there was probably signs from that summer because remember who was the who was the Australian winger that we brought on loan? Arzani, Arzani, and he was like, "I don't know anything about him." Mm-hmm. And then we didn't really back him. That was Shved, I think. You're that was, that, yeah, that, that was Shved in the January. We bought Shved. You're not doing the same for Arzani, though, I'm sure, as well. I think you'd said something about Arzani being a project. Aye, and right, it okay. just didn't bode well. No. Aye, but Shved, yeah, right. And then um, I would, a lot of the signings were loan signings, like Ollie Burke and all that. So it was, but it was still very much a yeah. shock. It was like a dagger. We, it was, remember the suit? You seen him going round and he, the thing that always kind of stuck with me a wee bit, and I know it sounds daft, when I seen him, at Leicester, walking around the pitch, and he had like a, like in a bluish suit on, and I, and I remember the first, just thinking, where's he get a suit that quick? No, presumably you can go an expensive tailor to get it like that. But I, I looked at it, and I thought, yeah, hmm. there was all the talk as well that see all the coaching staff and all that, all their kids had been withdrawn from their school like two weeks before and all that. So I think it was all in the often. We um we recorded the, the day that that happened. The day we had the, we recorded the podcast that was on, brilliant, that on, on a Thursday. I think it was me, Liam Divers, Bowd, maybe Christian as well. I, I can't even remember who it was. I'll I'll have a look. But um, that was our podcast of rage, absolute rage. And I, just I hatred. think I think I listened to that. So I think that came out, and I was going. I was, I was going to Timecast the next night. I'm sure I listened to that on the way to the game. You were and on it, television that very night. That I was. Um, and see the, the banner, um, Never a Celt, Always mm. a Fraud. I thought that was spot on. Like, mm. And then you had all the people, the sort of hand ringers who aren't Celtic fans and all that, thinking what he's done for yeah. the club and all that. Yeah. And one thing that annoyed me was for see every press conference he had basically from then till the end of the season, he was always talking about us. I was like, 
get your name, get our name in <laughs> <out> your mouth. <laughs> um, and that's the thing, though. Like, um, ultimately, someone. I'm sorry, I'm still really off. It was genuinely, I met him once and he was a, it was a class act and he made you feel like a million dollars and that always kind of stuck with me as well because I felt duped. Well, I mean, he probably is just a nice guy, but also... Well, I would say is, remember, like, um, we had this, like, star, starry-eyed view of him and then as soon as he left, all, it started. you started to realise that he was just talking a lot of shit all the time. Like, all the stuff about the meeting the Rangers fan in the tunnel. <laughs> Danny McGrain. Danny McGrain it, and all that. It's like, see when you watch these Netflix documentaries about a killer and, and <laughs> the wife's sitting there like, I had no idea. Yeah. That <laughs> And when this yeah, time goes yeah. on, I should have thought about it. You're, you're sitting at the TV like, how did you know? No, that was me when Brendan yeah. Rogers left. I know. Okay, listen. Um, we could, again, we could talk for lots more time, but we'll we'll move on. I'll be picking the uh, the next uh, the next name out of the bowl. We did we do a spin? We do a little spin. We do. There's a good one. Let's Let me go. pick back up. Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. I've, I've got one here. Neil Lennon. And it's <laughs> second time round. <laughs> it's Kilmarnock away. Oh. Ah. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay, so I'll go first with this, obviously. So Kilmarnock Away has kind of evolved from literally one of the places that caused me nightmares when I was younger under the Tommy Burns uh, push for the title um, where we we kept dropping points to them, we kept drawing with them, we just couldn't beat them at Rugby Park and it, cost us, it pretty much cost us the title uh, in 96, 97. Um, and uh, it, it really did kind of give me nightmares um but then you look in kind of modern history you look at some of the you know nakamura i mean that nakamura goal at rugby park i just think is outrageous just amazing now nowadays it's kind of like eh, i just felt i feel like i cut there's that this is not specifically just kamarnock away but it feels like some football clubs in scotland have shrunk like mm-hmm. kamarnock seemed to be quite a important club back in you know even in the mid 2000s and stuff mm-hmm. whereas now it's kind of like meh they just seem to have kind of shrunk a little bit and maybe aren't as kind of intimidating. Um, but yeah, Kamarnock away, as I say, when we were younger, the three of us, and, you know, looking at those kind of results, Rangers uh, losing to Hearts 3-0 at Ibrooks and us. Alan Johnson, Hattrick. Alan Johnson, Hattrick. Um, and then they lost to Hearts again, and we drew with Kamarnock. We drew with them the, the two times, didn't we? Yeah, I'm sure we drew with them at home once that season as well. Yeah, Um but yeah, Kamarnock away, Rugby Park, it's um, it's not as intimidating as it was, but it does give, give me kind of visceral flashbacks to pain. Yeah. Barry? First thing that kind of jumps, other, others, I totally agree with what you said there, because it seemed to be, we seem to slip up against them all the time, but the first game that jumps out to me is the 3-1 1996 when we had the Bumblebee kit on. And oh yeah, the Three Amigos. Three Amigos, yep. Um, the pace that we moved at that day was incredible. It was Decanio's first goal for the club. Um, and just, it felt like good times were on the way and obviously we did, did the pod on the, the, the Three Amigos. But memorable games that stand out for me, um, the Tom Rogic one under Ronnie with the, the Thunder Bastard. I loved the video. I was lucky enough to be there that day, but I loved the video from behind the goals where you hear the guy say, hit it, big man. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Um, and it's been, we have sort of rebuilt our sort of reputation there I think in terms of being able to, to deal with them it's one of the games where there does tend to be a lot of spare tickets so managed to be there quite a lot over the years I remember winning the league there um, and Petrov scored um 2004 um, and obviously after the heartache of losing the final day there just mm-hmm. three days after Seville um, but I totally agree with the point you made there Gal that 
they used to be a, a right pain in the ass. And I remember for years, it's the kind of thing your dad or your uncle would say, I'd love to see them go down because of the problems they caused us. And obviously the plastic pitch as well. Um, Can I just jump in, sorry, yeah. before you come in, Alan? Um, the 95-96 season, right, which is still one of my favourite seasons ever, um, even though we don't win the league. Four points, um, there's a difference, Rangers of 87 and Celtic of 83, right? Um, here are the results against Kilmarnock in Kilmarnock. 21st of October 1995, Kilmarnock nil, Celtic nil. Uh, then you jump to January and it's uh, 20th of January 1996, Kilmarnock nil, Celtic nil. So that's what, four points? Mm-hmm. Um, so you win those two games and you're level. Um, and then, I didn't even realise this, uh, well, 10th of April 1996, Celtic won, Kilmarnock won. Um, they just they fucked us up, man. And we also drew with Falkirk away from home as well. Alan, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the first thing that came to mind was um, that it's probably one of the ones, along with Motherwell, that have probably been to the most over the years, just because, obviously, it's uh, not the most glamorous of uh, of ties. And the, the, at one time, certainly, there was a very, very good allocation for it. Um, and in all the time, I've never once actually tried the famous Kelly pie. Um, That's quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <A> ringing endorsement. <laughs> um, but I think it, it's almost similar to Dundee United in the sense that it's been one of those places where kind of history has tended to be made a wee bit, mm-hmm. whether good or bad for us. Yeah. Um, and I, I agree entirely with the point you've made. It feels like a kind of decision when a club makes the decision to go with the plastic pitch. It kind of feels like that then goes with the idea of downsizing to me. That I know it's a financial decision. Kelly are fairly well funded though. Obviously at one point they had the benefactor, uh, Billy Bowie put a lot of money into it and I think still does. Just to have a grass pitch in the top flight just seems what ambitious clubs do, you know, and that's the way you want it to be seen. You can understand Livingston doing it because they're a small, really small community club and they want to get any game they can. Yeah. Kilmarnock, I would always have put, you know, even this... Like in the nineties, they were in Europe. They played mm. European football. They got one or two decent results. Like they, they were, you know, they were getting consistently top five finishes, mm. top four finishes over Dundee United and Aberdeen at that point. And it's like won what? the Scottish Cup. Won the Scottish Cup, of course. Like what happened? It, it does just feel a wee bit like that. That, that goes in hand in hand with that decision. Almost like we are going from you know a mid-sized club in the league. You no, know, they're not in Aberdeen or anything yeah. like that, but. They're not certainly a Livingston. When you make that decision to wear a plastic pitch, it's kind of like, yeah, we're folding, you know, into that. I think the other game that I'd maybe mentioned that, that hasn't been is maybe um, under Lennon when they come back. Oh. Um, because... Great image of uh, Scott Brown on top of all yeah, the players yeah. and all that. And yeah. I, th- I think Neil Lennon had um, Neil Lennon had said that he was very frank in his team talk, but at half-time he said, look, go out and... You know, do oh, something. The, oh, the you're, three, ta- three. you're talking about. Yeah, three. I was yeah, talking yeah. about the the game when he came back the second time. Sorry, I, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I did wonder when you said about the Scott Brown jumping, but I just, I just put it on. <laughs> just just it um, <laughs> and I think Lennon had said that he just he was honest with the players and said if you know if we don't get anything here, and this was he was very very popular with the players, especially at this time, especially that squad. Um, if we don't get anything here, you know, I'm I'm gone. That's a real sliding doors moment, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if, yeah. And it goes back, I think we were talking about it recently with Lennon first time around. Like, when you say the name Neil Lennon out, it just invokes so much. Take your, try as much as possible to take yourself back. Aye. Everybody wanted Neil Lennon so, so much to succeed. Actually, maybe about a year ago, was going through like old Facebook posts to delete them, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, anything untoward, but just, it's just cringe. 
cringe aye and the amount of just like pictures of Neil Lennon and like posts like we are all Neil Lennon like just all the time and Ooh, that, yeah. <laughs> like you can, I mean I was about to say you can't remove your history but it turns out you can't yeah, very easily <laughs> um, but everybody wanted him to succeed and the energy that he came in with at the time I think is especially after Strachan and Mowbray he kind of did want somebody that was actually going to come in and at that time just grab the players and mm-hmm. fucking and it was good for a while, um, but that was a moment that, as you say, if if he hadn't got that, then it, it probably would have been Rugby gone. Park, 3-0 down at half time. Heffernan with the game That's of his right. life. Uh, I watched that game with my dad in uh, the Queen's Park Cafe, and we both, you know, as soon as it goes to half time, we both just turn around, or one of us orders a drink, and we look at each other like, he's done. Mm-hmm. Like, he is he is done. It's one of those ones you think, if that's a home game, you wouldn't want to see a chairman walking down the stairs because that's a <laughs> yeah. assistant manager takes over for a half-time scenario. I mean, I, I remember watching it and genuinely just, I think my head was just my hands like, what? Yeah, it was unheard on? of, wasn't it, to be 3-0 yeah. down to a, a team other than Rangers? And it wasn't like plucky as in, it was just, just an absolute scheme doing. Um, do you want to jump in? Yeah, there you go. Um, Alan's it. time to uh, time to shine. Is Alan's time to shine? Uh, there he goes. He's using his wee fingers, getting his wee ratty fingers. We're gonna get a gig in Eurovision with uh, with that chatting. It is <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Joe Benglos. Doctor Joe. Doctor Joe. Doctor Joe. 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 Yes, absolutely. Um, a, a proud man, a good man. Talk us through it, Alan. Yeah. Um, Doctor Who, initially, if yes, I remember that's right. right. Um, Doctor Joe. It's good to see. <laughs> it's good to You're see. Me. We never, um, we never learned a lesson with that when it um, comes to you know appointing managers from uh, elsewhere, and I largely include myself in that as well. To be fair, <laughs> um, at least one listener uh, will remember that I wasn't particularly keen on Ange coming in as well, but. I'm delighted to be proved wrong. Dr. Joe, to be honest, I was a bit too young to have what you would call a rounded opinion when he came in. I think I would have been eight, nine, maybe, when he came in. Um, So you're not really saying, yeah, he's he's done some really good work, you know. Um, But the stuff at Aston Villa was uh, very underrated. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But when you look at some of the signings he made, and I think one of the things you would, one of these, the big things, I think would be his recruitment, some of the right. players he brought in, that then not only succeeded under him, what they went what they went and did in the following years, like it kind of gave us a lot of the heart of the team that would go on to achieve so much, even you know five, six years later. So his recruitment was spot on. He, without doubt, had an eye for a player. And it was just a very challenging time, I think, to come in as Celtic manager. Um, it was extremely difficult, really difficult conditions to come into. Um I think he did. He, he did. I, I get very fond memories of him. Did really, really well. Played some nice stuff at times, but his recruitment lasted us for you know five, six years thereafter, and really gave us a platform to succeed. I think. You like one? Yeah. Um, I just remember that summer. So obviously the shock of Janssen leaving, like forty hours or less than forty hours after we'd stopped the ten, and then we kind of chased similar, similar similarities to. The season Ange came in, we chased uh, Gerard Hulley uh, all summer, and then he decided to go to Liverpool with weirdly joint manager with Roy Evans. That's right, that was yeah. fucking weird. So uh, again, it felt like we were scrambling around, and he came in very late in the in the summer, not long before we had the the qualifier with Croatia Zagreb, uh, Dinamo Zagreb as they are now. But yeah, I think straight away um, you could see. 
you mentioned the recruitment, the style of football. It kind of Jansen was very he could set up a team and we were quite organised. I don't think we were ever we had our moments, but it was never sort of free flowing. And I think that that was something Ben Goss brought brought in. I remember loads of games we would win five six now. Um, obviously he brought his Lubo, um, which was incredible in itself. And I often think, I think you guys did a, a season review um, pod of that, 98-99, and I think the points total at the end wasn't that big, and I think if we'd brought him in sort of the start of July rather than towards the end of it, um, after the World Cup, I'm certain, we might have made a better fist of it, and the signings seemed to take a while to come in as well. I remember the Mark Viduka signing was protracted, yeah. and then when we finally got him, he went AWOL for... Yeah, two or three months. So, no, I, I think back to him fondly. Um, special mention for the five-one game. Um, had never experienced anything like that before, and obviously we've beaten them a few times, five-one and five nils and six-twos and stuff. But for I would have been what twelve, thirteen to beat that Rangers team five-one was incredible. So, always look back on his time uh, rather fondly. And the the quality of goals in that game as well. I know we talked about that game, and feels like we've talked about that a lot recently. The quality of goals just kind of made you feel like actually these players are special. Like some of them have got incredible talent. I mean, Lubo's two goals are the, the thing, just the, unbelievable. The thing about that game is, uh, so the 6-2 game, there was like a feeling in the air. There was a feeling, there was a kind of electricity in there about the 6-2 game. Uh, and I'm not saying you, you expected to win 6-2, but at the end of the day, you were kind of like, I knew we were going to beat them. Maybe not 6-2. Yeah. Um, the 5-1 game came from nowhere. And that's why it's always, always, always one of my favourite ever games. I was on the Kelly's bus at that point with my sister. And, you know, we turned up and I remember thinking, oh, we could get a draw here. Genuinely thinking, yep. oh, we could get a draw here. Um, I, I love Dr. Joe. Um, a first ever foreign manager to manage in the English leagues um, when he was Aston Villa. Um, he wasn't necessarily successful there, but, uh, you know, a lot of players from that Villa time and uh, even like Graham Taylor talked about how he implemented things that would go on to really help the club kind of move on. And, yes. you know, he's he was very well thought of in the kind of yeah, the higher echelons of, of European football and coaching and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just I'll just name some of these names that he, you know, he, Paul Lambert had come in the season before, of course, but, you know, Mark Viduka, Johan Mialbi, Vidar Raiseth, Libra Maravich, um, I mean, if nothing else, Lubo and Mialbi, two absolute mainstays of, of the O'Neill time. Um, there's just a lot of really good players in that team. Larson that season scored 29 goals in the league and 30 goals overall. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but it comes down to, I think, Barry, I think you've got it absolutely spot on. It comes into when he came in and the timing of came in because um, recruitment was very protracted. I think Mialbi came, he played in the 5-1 game, but that was like his debut and he was thrown in at the deep end. So that funny. was November, wasn't it's it? It's so funny when you see Mialbi coming coming on and that, it just looks, it does not look like Johan I know, Mialbi. yeah, with the head, like his shit heads are... It yeah. looks like an extra in some sort of kind of 90s action movie. I I I'm, not, I'm not trying to say Dolph Lundgren, but he just doesn't look like Johan Mialbi at that time. He doesn't. Um, he's, he's Even the way he runs was weird. Um, and the thing about the thing about that season is I remember, I think it was, it was we had a game in like February or March and we had like 12 players out and we went from having Paul Lambert and Craig Burley in midfield to um, like Colin Healy. And that's no, that's no shade, that's no, that's no shade at Colin Healy, but you know, try to, okay. so who was it? Was it like Colin Healy and someone else, another young guy in midfield and it was kind of like, 
that's all we have. Like injuries really, really, really screwed them over. Yeah, there was a there was a clip there was a clip recently on Twitter, um and it was towards the end of that season and it showed, I think we were at Dens Park. Or no, um we were at Dunfermline and it showed you all the players who were out and like that it was like Stubbs was out. Lambert was out. Um, Reaper, I know he never really played much under Dr. Joe because of his injury, but we were trying to cobble a team together and it almost felt like we probably could have afforded an injury okay. sort of scale like that if we'd got him in early and hit the ground running because, as I say, we used to batter teams. Like, Dunfermline were one in particular. I remember taking five or six off of him at Celtic Park a, few, a couple of times. Um, so it was probably... I think, he was unlu- I think he was unlucky. Yeah. I think probably bad timing in regard to how he came in. I think he had a lot of kind of very unlucky, but ultimately you wouldn't change the process of history because, you know, you wouldn't want anything to be messed up to get Martin O'Neill. Yeah. Um, Barry, what do you choose? What you Here we go. This is, the, this is Barry Gallagher. You, this is what you should get some stats on Barry at this time. He's picked <laughs> players. Oh, this is... Um, oh, he's very excited. Look at this. A gift from God. Gift from God. It's just the phrase gift from God. What does that mean to you? nicely, to be honest. Lubomir uh, Maravchuk. Okay, talk me through it, Barry. Um, yeah, obviously that was the title of the the DVD or the VHS, it would have been at that time. Um, youngsters, if you don't know what that is, that's your <laughs> grandfather. <laughs> or, or your dad as well. <laughs> but um, again, I remember coming in, he came in under much derision and sort of hilarity. Hugh Keevans with the sort of well, well thought out phrase now that the fact that Celtic couldn't stump up for John Spencer. Um, instead, they would buy this 33-year-old, never has been, even though he'd played in the, the Euro semi-final. World Cup semi-final World Cup Italian 90 was that yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is crazy and one thing that I will say I I hate now when we sign an unknown player who's maybe not the right age and people still remember Lubo because he's called a gift from God for a reason Um, you can't say every signing's going to be like Lubo but almost immediately I remember um, we beat Dundee 6-1 at Celtic Park, and it was the same day that Jock Brown had announced that he was leaving. So there was that buzz that you mentioned in there, probably for different reasons, Gal, was the fact that Jock Brown was leaving because he wasn't a popular character at all. But Lubo that day was incredible. You could see straight away how good a player he was. I remember he had uh, the ball out on the left-hand side and he crossed it with the outside, outside of his right foot, foot for Larson and scored a header. And I think he got subbed early that day and he got a, a standing ovation. Um, but even that couldn't have prepared us for what was going to happen in the 5-1 game where, as you mentioned, two great goals. He looked shell-shocked. I love that clip of it just zooms in on him and he doesn't Not know yet. what's happening. And then there's all, there's almost sort of like two two stages of Lubo. Because obviously there's under Dr. Joe. John Barnes, I don't think, really realised what to do with him. And I think he's spoken about that in the past because um, he said if he'd realised how good Lobo was, he wouldn't have gone out and shelled six million or whatever on Berkovic. Um, which, why not just... Watch training, mate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then under O'Neill. Again, O'Neill didn't really know what to do with him at the start either. Um, and I think O'Neill obviously been doing a lot of talking recently about his book and he says at one of the, the games over in Germany in pre-season, he asked Lobo to chase a man down or something he's like no that's not what I do and he said if he'd known that how good he was he wouldn't have never have asked him to do that and then the 6-2 game I thought Lubo was incredible um, that day um, I love the we spoke about it recently the, the set up for Lambert's goal 
Yeah. It was brilliant. Shout out for him in the 2000-2001 season again for the free kick against Motherwell late on when we were struggling. Um, Gordon's raging. Yeah, punches the ball down. And then, again, going into O'Neill's second season, he was kind of, it was almost as if he was using him sparingly in the Champions League. And then he played him that game against um, Juventus, the 4-3 and Lubo, Nutmeg, Nedved and all that. So Rolled back the years. Definitely. And it, it's, again, it's a cliche, but see if we'd got him when he was maybe we got him maybe when O'Neill was manager when he was like 27, 28 who knows what could have happened with that um, team mm. because he was the something different O'Neill's team often gets said we were very workmanlike I thought we played great football but I think if we'd had Lubo perhaps the Seville season um, if he was a couple of years younger we, we would have gone all the way I think Alan? Uh, Lubo is just as soon as I, as soon as I seen the uh the wee bit of paper saying gift from God, that was it. And because that's exactly who, slightly unfair to uh, Dr. Joe, who just came before him there, because um, he's a gift maybe from him Dr. as Joe. well. <laughs> um, but it, it just makes me smile just thinking about him. Uh, first season ticket was around about that time. So I've seen Lubo every time at Celtic Park, pretty much. Um, and he was just a joy to watch. He just, just the most comfortable player on both sides but not as in yeah he could control it with his left and then get it on his right it just didn't make a difference to him and still to be honest you hear coaches say how important it is but it's very seldom that you see a player that gifted that it does not matter how the ball comes to him they can do the same things with both feet and Lubo could absolutely do that um, and I just the only other game I'd add maybe to Barry's was the game at Ibrox when he scored two when oh, yeah. uh, that was my brother's 16th birthday actually um, so pretty special Pretty Happy special day. Um, and I think probably if you ask my mum that if she was to pick one Celtic player that she just loved watching, I think it would be Lubo. And I love the picture of him on the video, the cover of the video, Gift from God, where he's just holding up the trophy aloft. Yeah. Again, it comes back to that similar maybe vibes in terms of that discussion about Joe Hart and that, you know, when players got older, does it and it just shows that nah, doesn't winning things is great whether you're 19 or whether you're 36 if anything it gets more sweet I just love the way Lubo's just holding the trophy completely aloft not like lifting it up like that like kind of his elbows bent is literally straight up there straight like up a there. child yeah. and it just makes me smile so many iconic pictures of him obviously the great one we're holding a pint of Guinness which you know slightly older Alan appreciates as well uh, I, it's, I just loved watching him week on week and you know it's not even about correlating it with he's one of the few players I think you can kind of take out the success of the club alongside him mm-hmm. because he is genuinely a kind of player that you know you would just watch so even if Celtic were shite you would watch them because Lubo's in the team and he's just a joy to watch and I don't know maybe as you get older that kind of ebbs away but he was just an absolute joy and going to Celtic Park every week and knowing that he would be there he just did things like people talk about him trapping the ball with his ass. So easy for him to do. So easy for probably a lot of players to do. But he did it. And football is about entertainment. And he was an entertainer. Um, and I just loved watching him. I absolutely loved watching him. I might actually watch the video. I've not watched it in a long time. Yeah. Clips of him, but never the video. So yeah. that'll be my next one. What I would say is, uh, sorry about it. What I would say is, he's. I think he's probably the most technically gifted player I've ever seen at Celtic. Um, and he might be the most technically gifted player I've ever seen at Celtic Park and I include all the teams I've seen playing Um, as Alan says he could do anything with either foot and his balance um, cultured is is probably how you'd describe him overall but he's a guy that I just think Alan you made this point about 
you could separate my memories of Lubomir Maravchik, I can separate from my memories of Celtic at that time mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. kind of get those memories of just watching him. And I speak to my dad a lot about like watching the Lisbon Lions and, you know, Jimmy Johnson and, you know, even watching guys like Kenny Douglas and all that. <clears throat> And he describes them in the way how I probably describe Larson and uh, Maravchik to, you know, people of, a, of you know the younger generation. The, how he talks about them, his eyes light up and he gets so viscerally excited about oh what. And he, a lot of the time you can't even necessarily explain. You just use words like technique and you use words mm-hmm. like you know um, ability and and all that. But ultimately, it was entertaining, and he was an and you know he's a magician. Yeah, I think she's just. Some of the goals that just when you two were talking there, it sprang to mind. So obviously the one at St. Johnson, that's a kind of short corner and he curls it in his yeah. left foot. The one at Easter Road with that stunning that white kit. Oh, the way that ball moves is... Yeah. And you know what? He looked so good in that kit as well. Uh-huh. It really set him off. So he looked a wee kind of stocky guy. He wasn't stocky, but he looked it uh-huh. because he was quite diminutive. Yeah. Uh, other ones, I remember he scored a, a header at Hamden. I think it was against Kelly. Um, semi-final of the League Cup where he yes. headed it in off the bar. So... Oh, yeah. His goals were incredible. Um, he scored a lot of free kicks. Yeah, mm-hmm. got a free so kicks. The one, at, the one at Motherwell where it bounces off the bar. Yeah, that's right. That was it went really high. And he could, he could whatever side the ball was on, he could use either foot as well. So, yeah, incredible player. Brilliant. And do you know what? He's someone we'll definitely do a kind of in-depth profile on because what uh, a player, what a magician, what a man. Every, I think everyone probably has like three players that when you say their name, you just almost sit back and smile and you just, and that's that. It's actually, there's probably players we could talk more in detail about in terms of, you know, salient points. Lubo, I just, it just brings a smile to my face just thinking about him and I just absolutely loved him. Loved absolutely. Him. Uh, we'll do one more. We'll do one more and, uh, you know, we could sit here for, a, we could sit here all night, get a few beers and just uh, do this the whole night, but uh, time is our enemy. Um, let me just see. Okay. <laughs> do you not like that, no? I've not got any plans. <laughs> Alright, I'll shout Claire and get some beers. Okay, here we go. I have chosen oh my goodness me. Uh Dermot Desmond. Oh, for, for having such Ending a on a high. <laughs> <laughs> um just your thoughts. Um I'll go first. Um I I I personally I'm not necessarily sure that um I again don't want to end on a high, but um uh, I'm not sure I trust him. I'm not sure I trust him to do the right things for Celtic always. And, um, you know, you know, we kind of bang the drum about the board. And the thing about being critical of Celtic and how Celtics run and the board is that when you're successful, people don't really want to hear that. They just want to focus on the football, which I completely understand. But what happens when things kind of go a little bit kind of you know standards maybe drop off a little you know depending on what happens when Ange leaves because Ange definitely will leave at some point depending on what happens when Ange leaves um, will depend on how seriously he wants to take Celtic to the next level or how seriously he wants to keep Celtic at that level I personally don't trust him to do the right thing but that's just because he put Neil, Neil Lennon was in charge when that was an outrageous decision how he spoke about the support in the past um how he, you know, the interviews he he's done recently where he talks about how he watched a video of Ange and all this stuff when it clearly, that clearly didn't happen. That's completely made up. How the Eddie Howe affair was handled. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of, you know, if you look in the positive and negative column, a lot of people turn around and say, well, look what he's done for the clubs from, from a financial point of view. And yeah, that's fair enough. But that's also part of being a chairman. Um, the guy's a billionaire. And, you know, I'm not saying I want him to put in hundreds of millions of pounds into Celtic, but there has been, you know, it's feast or famine at Celtic for some reason. Um, if, if Brendan Rodgers had got more money, I'm not saying he would have stayed because I think he would have gone, gone anyway. But... You know, it shouldn't be, here's here's a lot of money at the start and we're going to take a little bit of money off you, a little bit more. You know, the guy's a billionaire. He could put his hand in his pocket a little bit more, in my opinion. Um, ultimately, when it comes to Dermot Desmond, I have a series issue of, uh, I, I, I kind of distrust them. And he's never apologised for some of this stuff that happened in a season that really affected us viscerally. And he kind of laughs it off. Alan? I think... First of all, it's probably worth just declaring. I, 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 it might. It sounds naive. It probably is to a certain extent. I just fundamentally don't like that much concentration of power. I don't like the the, the notion that Celtic have a majority shareholder that's not the fans. Um, I know Agreed. there's a lot of work going on. The Celtic Trust are trying to dilute that. It's a big big way to go, and it's unlikely currently to see it changing I was about to say anytime soon but you know potentially in my lifetime um, just because the the gap is there and Demet Desmond has shown no appetite whatsoever to change that and it probably wouldn't go even when he goes uh, yeah. I don't want to because he's, got he's his kids. Yeah. yeah exactly so I don't like that notion I don't think Celtic belongs to anyone other than the fans well, the club are quick to say that and they're quick to cash in on that PR wise but it's not the case. No. And as, as you guys are both alluding to, um, the kind of dovetailing of his interests, of how much he's interested, how much he's intrigued. We all know the story of Brendan Rodgers coming in um, because Desmond felt slighted. I feel slighted every time Celtic don't beat Rangers. Um, yep. Not just one occasion when I turn up. The absent landlord analogy, I think, works very, very well. Um, he's done loads of good, I'm sure. Um, I don't doubt that. Um, you know, bringing in guys like O'Neill. But if you were an ambitious club with the fan base of Celtic, the stadium we have, the, the name we have, and the, the opportunities we have, I think these guys would come anyway. I don't think that it's Dermot Desmond shaking somebody's hand at the races. Um, that that does it, you know the distracting story as well coming in that he bumped into him at the races. See, to be honest, see when I hear these stories, I actually hate them because yeah, I do so. everything about it just stinks of this uh, kind of. There's a world co- corporate elitist mentality right, that shop, things right. happening that we, I'll make the decision that you people wouldn't understand, and it's like, well, actually, do you know what? See, if uh, my job was, you know, if I was owner, chairman, majority shareholder of a club, do you know what I would do? I would actually just sit down, discuss with people who work in the game, who's the best person to get the job. Exactly. I wouldn't hope that I bumped into somebody that I've seen making jokes and matching a day and think they're the best <laughs> manager. So, I, I think that's my kind of thoughts and uh, Dermot Desmond, to be honest. Yeah totally echo both of what we both said but see that point about how he went and got um, Rogers after feeling mm-hmm. down about it I can't, I can't help but think well so. it was a disrespect that he was in like the yeah. Yeah. he was being goaded by Rangers ah, he was being goaded by allegedly yeah. or Rangers yeah. it's that reactionary thing that I don't like so see when you see we were all at the ground um, on Sunday when we when, and there's been many scenes like that over the last few yeah. years why, if you were as big a Celtic fan as he sort of claims to be, why would you not want to keep that going? Why would you not try and push that as far as it can go? And the fact that the famine or feast thing, I think, is a, a spot on um, phrase to use because 
we tend to go from these periods of massive highs. I, I spoke earlier about Rogers being back in the big time. We should always be in the big time. Yeah. The the point you made about Samani saying that our expectations. If this guy has this wherewithal, and it's not as if we need him to sort of bail us out, but if he's such a good businessman in other areas, why is he not trying to maximise our potential with the best club we can be? And yeah, I, people maybe label us that we we never give the board any credit, but it's because of years of distrust. Um, that ten season, um, I'll never go over it. I'll never go over it from a football perspective, but I'll never go over over how the club responded to the fans and how the club spoke to the fans and the complete disrespect. We are the club. And for them to... Him. Alan. I, I think just exactly on that, um, again, I, I don't know if it's the case, but I think it was suggested or it was mentioned that I think it might even mean by someone around the club that when we protested after Ross County that they were of a mind potentially that they might make a change but actually they felt after that that no they won't back down Dermot Desmond wouldn't, them. wouldn't back them. down to the will of what he dis- what was described as a small group of Neds or whatever the Bay phrase was at the time that bit, yeah. um, I, I was there after Ross County I went down to the stadium to protest because the club was a fucking joke Um I, that, that's that's not you being a, a being mob. That's you saying. By the way, standards have slipped so far. Does somebody want to maybe do something and try mm-hmm. and salvage a season, which at that point wasn't completely gone? That's the thing I don't like. Um, he'll he'll get credit for appointments. That's the way it works. The ones that don't work don't. But see if we had a club that functioned and actually there was more autonomy further down the chain and it wasn't concentrated that slowly. I think actually the club would grow in a lot of elements. I don't personally, th- I don't think Celtic particularly advocate for positive change in terms of the league, in terms of what we can do as a club on match days. We've talked about this how many times about the experience of coming to Celtic Park. Should be much better, should be much more positive. I love it, but I love it because it's passed down. Yeah, I, I think that you know, the biggest club in Scotland, most successful team in Scotland, we should absolutely be you know, leading change and saying, look, football's moved on. We want to do this, we want to do this. You know, big employer, you know, Celtic TV Park deal, let's do this. Even that. things like Celtic Park Tour, I think, is number one on like, TripAdvisor for things to do in Glasgow. Like, So you have soft power there to actually advocate for change, but we don't, and we're just kind of happy that we can win trophies. And I just think bigger vision, fresher ideas, I think the club could do with that, and that comes top down, I'm afraid. A Barry? Yeah, just to... I know this is probably not the best topic to end on, is it? But um, just that season, that hellish season, I think back to... Remember they put out they first did a, a, a law video to explain oh, yeah. the, the sort of state of the nation, as they would call it, or the state of the club. And he looked absolutely like he had been in Turkey for like five weeks without <laughs> sun cream. Then Dermot did one as well, didn't he? Yeah, and then obviously cool. when we managed to get over the line to secure the, the quadruple treble, first thing that went and dedicated the trophy yeah. to was... Mr. Law and Mr. Der- Desmond, and just that was the final straw. Like even that, po- that positive winning the trophy, just thought these three are at it. And because they've lucked out with Ange, it seems to have been kind of forgotten about by some, or sort of buried deep in their minds. But you can't forget if you want to move forward. I think these things aren't mutually exclusive. You can enjoy the success, and I, I was down there Sunday like you guys were. We loved it. We love Ange. We love the team. That doesn't make me think if Ange decided to up sticks this summer, next summer, or the summer after, that we're at the complete whim of who two, maybe three people think will be good. And if they don't, you now know that 
if you don't like that person, don't push too hard because actually you might embolden them, as we say, right. to actually stick with someone who quite clearly isn't working. So it's not the most healthy relationship. <laughs> Careful with the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two things I'll finish on um, would be, uh, firstly, that I'm sure there'll be people who'll be like, well, better the devil you know. Who knows what would happen if he sold his shares? That's a, that's a small-minded mentality. Better the devil you know is the worst kind of idea when it comes to who might take over the club. It would be funny if in three years, but I say it would be funny if we did sell our shares and it was like the worst owner in the world <laughs> and people are like using your fucking mouth. <laughs> Always the smart guys. But the, other, the other thing I would say would be that um, when we were playing Midgeland, um, when Ange was taking over, like he wasn't there. He was at the racing in Dublin. Like yeah. the big yeah. European Champions League game. Uh, and he was at the racing in Dublin, not a care in the world. Um, do you want to do one more or finish? Or Aye, only, if it's, only if it's a happy Only if it's a happy one. Okay, here we go. I'll, I'll pick. Like I'll, I'll look one. at me Barry's wee hands where they're like, I'll choose it, I'll choose it. Yeah, you'll choose okay, it. Thank of course you, you will. Oh. Look at Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> here we go, Barry. Oh, we can't. Peel Fucking Nah, no. Go uh, one more. Pull back, pull back in because we can use it. Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus. Can I, can I do both of them oh, in the God. same season? Not even the same episode. My God. <laughs> Redrop. Oh, right. The 2001 treble. Ah, oh, oh, okay, there you go. Great. I'd like to firstly thank Demet Desmond. My uh, <laughs> Matt O'Neill. Um... I would still say I know we've been spoiled with trebles but in terms of that that season's probably my favourite as a Celtic fan um, just O'Neill coming in straight away um, signing Sutton Volharen going on an incredible run um, 6-2 game as we've mentioned going through the Cups beating Rangers in the, the League Cup um, and then some of the performances you mentioned, the 3 0 game at Ibrox that season, um, and then the, the cup final against Hibs, uh, where Larson scored two um, and McNamara scored. So that team was a sensational team. It's weird to think that Ramon Vega was here for six months and left with three three trophies. Um, probably one of the most successful loan spells ever. ever. Yeah. Yeah. And just see the one thing that. There's many memories from that season. Um, and shout out, Alan, to the, the special VHS with Tony Roper. Yep, love it. Um, love it. Another one to stick on your watch list is Larsie Larson's goal, in, or one of Larson's three goals in the, the CIS Cup final where he runs from the halfway line and goes round Gordon Marshall. I've spoken about that before on pods, but that felt like as close as it was to watching like Maradona for me. Yeah. Like you knew you were in the presence of greatness. And I can't speak highly enough of Martin O'Neill for bringing that team together. Um, but do, you like, yeah. do you like Martin O'Neill? Oh, love him, love him. <laughs> um, and that season was just incredible. I, I think of the the picture of O'Neill with the three trophies at Celtic Park. I think I had that up in my, my room wall for years. Um, the scenes when we won the league against St Mirren at home with Tommy Johnson's horrendous touch <laughs> and goal. But yeah, a memorable season. The best, best treble I would say in my lifetime and really happy memories. Alan? Yeah, I think when it, uh, I think a lot of people have been talking about it recently in terms of uh, ranking the trebles. Uh, hopefully, that's a discussion that we can maybe have soon um, with some authority. It will be extremely difficult. I think whatever we do going forward, I think it is a timing thing and an age thing, as in my early teens, and the notion that if you would have said to me any time before that, whether it had been a year, six years before that, whatever. 
that we would actually do a domestic clean sweep and do it by some margin as well. It's just, it would have just, it changed my idea of what Celtic could be and what Celtic would be in my lifetime because it had been pretty slim pickings up to that point. Um, you know, winning trophies, yes, yeah, Scottish Cup, then the double, that was great. To win a treble under Martin O'Neill, it just felt like the good times. And you say that a lot, like that feeling when you're there, it's almost like you have that moment when you look around and you just kind of think everything's going to be great. And there's, I think there's a thing almost like when you're in those moments. Sunday would, would have been quite similar, to be fair, as well. When you're down at Celtic Park or whether you're watching with whoever, where you look about and you you get a feeling that, it'll always be like that and it's it's kind of it's naive but it's great as well it's um you know it's quite nauseating and a really it's a nice feeling but also you know it's probably not the case it's just and O'Neill did that so many times um and to start off like that it was just incredible I had a season ticket that season it was just great and the poster I had in my wall was the the huge Martin O'Neill uh, jumping. Martin O'Neill jumping. I had it as well. Again. I had it as well. Both feet off the ground. Yes. Tommy Burns just there. leaning on the. I had that up behind uh, behind my bed for freaking years. Uh, it was just just great. And I Saint Martin. I know he's talked a lot recently after very few years where he said much, but there's nothing Martin O'Neill could say that won't make me love him. Uh, I, I adore the man. Um, you know, if you say Martin to my mum, she'll say Saint Martin. Um, in that very Glaswegian way, but um. 97 points, right, in the league. We lost our last two games. We lost to Dundee at home 2-0, and we lost to Kilmarnock away 1-0 right. for our last two games. It's almost like uh, he kind of went, league done, no bother, let's chill out. Um, Focus on the final. I fancy it. Um, but, <laughs> you know, what, an, an incredible... The bit, My best treble, I'd say. I know we talked about that on, on the weekly a couple of weeks ago, but um, everything about it kind of just screams my peak fandom. Um, and I know a lot of that is maybe to do with age and stuff, but, you know, even small details like, you know, we went away to Bordeaux and we conceded a goal, like a really cheap goal from Christophe Dugarry, and I remember thinking, same old, same old. And then we equalised, and it was just that wee glimmer of... Oh, now we ended up going out in the tie, but we took them to extra time and it was really unlucky and Laslon scored, Maravchik scored. But there was just, even take away like the um, the actual winning of the trophies, there was just wee bits where you're like, wee Easter eggs where you're like, oh my goodness. What I actually would, I, it was when I was coming back actually from Ireland a couple of weeks ago and the pod that you guys had done, where you, um, I think you were talking about the your away games. Um, oh yeah. And I just loved like, when you were talking about uh, Seto Vigo and I just remember... That was at that point we just thought O'Neill can just do whatever. Like, we can pull out. And I find it quite funny now. <clears throat> and to be fair, it's, it's happened pretty much since O'Neill left. And obviously the club has been incredibly successful in the what, 22, 23 years since he came in. And you see, like, the kind of Celtic managers kind of lining up. You know, you've got O'Neill, then Strachan, then Lennon, then... Poor Tony. Rogers, <laughs> I know, poor Ronnie as well. Um, and then obviously now Ange. And it's quite funny, like, there's always been this kind of thing about, you know, it's quite, it's obviously a fairly elite club of mm -hmm. being a Celtic manager, but a successful Celtic manager. But even within that, I always think, let's see when you see O'Neill and Stratton together and then Stratton and then Rogers kind of joined that kind of elite group. And you're thinking, but O'Neill, see when you look at you kind of think, aye, but that's Martin O'Neill, you know, like the other guys are great and you, you know, obviously I'm even softer on striking than you guys certainly are, but 
see when you say little Neil, you just look and think that's Martin O'Neill. And it's it, when it was after the cup final a couple of weeks ago when he'd said something to Ange, and you're just I still get that feeling of see if Martin O'Neill says mm-hmm. like Ange is doing something special, then he is, and I'm sure he's very polite and very everything. But I look at those two and I kind of think they're kinda they. The, Andrew never break my heart Martin O'Neill certainly didn't and I just kind of feel like they, those two are kind of pushing up and it's I see, don't know see just on that point where so it was the interview had finished and Andrew's walking off and O'Neill kind of puts his hand out and he's like very well done absolutely brilliant and I thought that's like two two time frames Colossus, merging yeah. and see just see just like sort of wee anecdotal things I remember around that time like pure nostalgia for the time like I remember there was Martin O'Neill masks Remember, yeah. there was Larson masks, there was the tricolour sunglasses. See the masks? I don't know, it's going to sound daft. I remember wearing, I think, the Larson one. Um, see, when you had it on, by the way, it was as if you were in like 100 degree heat. <laughs> <laughs> that ghost that, that travel day was horrendous. <laughs> you had it on, and then you took it off for about two minutes so you could breathe, then you put it back on. You're like, Jesus Christ, why am I pass out? Because the Larson one had his tongue sticking out. Your tongue was sticking out when you took it off for a, what, a dug. <laughs> um, I, I just, Martin O'Neill, um, he. You know, he got us really back on the map from a European perspective. That Rangers team at that point, um, finance, you know, all this stuff aside, were internationals of a really, really high quality. And, um, you know, to do what we did against them, I think, that's why I always think, like, you know, Brendan Rodgers, for example, Rangers were an absolute bomb scare when Brendan Rodgers was here. I'm not taking anything away from what what he did because you you can only play what's in front of you and all that, right? But they were dreadful. that and even under Strachan, they were really downsizing, like Kirk Broadfoot and all that sort of thing. Whereas under O'Neill, they were, you know, the De Boers, um, like, you know, Bert Conterman, Tor Andre Flo. Tor Andre Flo. Yeah. Whether, whether guys were good or not, pretty much everyone cost a lot of money. A lot of money. And they came from kind of big clubs as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that for me, that's one of the things I'll always say about O'Neill. He did it when uh, the opposition were a really high standard. And he did it with style, and God bless you, St. Martin, and we love you. Uh, listen, this has been another episode of uh, the Celtic Roulette. It's been an absolute joy. Um, Barry Gallagher, thank you. Thank you. I've loved it, mate. Cheers. Uh, Alan Edgar, thank you. Pleasure. Thanks very much. From Alan, from Barry, and from myself, Chris Gallagher, this has been the Celtic Roulette, and we'll speak to you down the road. <laughs> <laughs>